I'm the one who steps from the shadows, all trench coat and cigarette and arrogance, ready to deal with the madness. Oh, I've got it all sewed up. I can save you. If it takes a last drop of your blood, I'll drive your demons away. I'll kick them in the bollocks and spit on them when they're down. And then I'll, then I'll be gone back to the darkness, leaving only a nod and a wink and a wisecrack. I walk the, my path alone. Who would walk with me? I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on Genreless, we take a weird deviation and talk about Constantine, City of Demons, the movie. So if you've watched the movie, you probably realize that quote did not come from the movie, but it it came from uh, issue 41 with uh, The Dangerous Habits Part 1, The Beginning of the End by Garth Ennis. Because since we weren't doing the television series, it was harder to, to really want to find a quote. But Constantine, as a, as a wisecracker, has a lot of great lines. So I just decided to pull something from the comics instead. And I think that's fair, but also um, without necessarily diving right in, um, I think it's also indicative of the movie as a whole because it, it's, it's fine. You know, but yeah. but it wasn't like oh my god, that's an iconic quote, and which is usually what we try to shoot for. So so, as soon as I saw in our comments, I was like, yeah, you know, we have to pull an iconic quote from somewhere else. And the comic, the Hellblazer series, makes much more sense than another movie or whatever. Uh, so welcome to the the movie version of journalist today. So, <laughs> oh, let me stretch and get ready for it. All right. So, uh, what can I tell you about Johnny Conjob? <laughs> that you don't already know. Um, the the long story short is that he originally appeared in a Swamp Thing comic mm-hmm. because the artist wanted to draw someone that wanted to draw Sting, so they made a character just so they could have a Sting person they got to draw. I had no idea. That's amazing. So if you go back and look at the early version of Constantine in a, in a, in a picture of young Sting. You may notice some similarities between the two. I would nice. say pick the young Steen from Lynch's Dune to compare it to. Yes. But yes. That's that's just me being a, a Dune fan. <laughs> um otherwise, I guess I would sum up John Constantine in a very simple phrase that his greatest superpower and the one thing you need to know about him is he is a bastard. In full stop, nothing else to say. I mean Maybe a little bit of magic. All right. <laughs> Since I didn't think Eddie would let me get away with just that. <laughs> uh, the equivalent version for his powers, regardless of which earth he's on, is he's a highly skilled magician, depending on if you go with the original version versus, I think, the new 52, where he's like one of the most powerful magicians in the world. Right. Is He has this unique ability. I think it's called synchronized wave travel. Have you have you heard of this? No, this is new. Oh yeah. So this is the greatest power in the world, or as I like to call it, plutonium. It basically is his ability to be extremely lucky to always be in the right place at the right time to have the right allies that he needs to fight some sort of world defining or world altering event. That is his literally, literally one of his superpowers. I'm here where the plot demands me. <laughs> In addition to that, 
He is highly skilled magician. He has like a vast array of occult knowledge, primarily focusing on demonology, but it's like divination. He has illusion magic. If you thought of a magic, Constantine has it, has used it, or has burned someone else down to be able to use their magic to do so. For instance, mm-hmm. one of the things that I thought was funny for the New 52 is that while Constantine is a human, he has demon blood. And he's got the demon okay. blood from like an injection from one of his arch nemesis nem- uh, Nurgle, who we actually sort of have in this, mm-hmm. and from having relations with the succubus. So his blood has like his blood is demonic, which he's used as a weapon before versus vampires. But the thing that I love is that he is such an ass. He has stolen the powers of Captain Marvel by basically stealing Billy Batson's voice. So when he says Shazam, Constantine turns into Captain Marvel. Like, I, I cannot stress the level of asshole that he is, but he is a great person to have in your corner if you don't care about the body count and the consequences for other people. The one thing that happens in the end is Constantine always walks away. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is like the arc of all of his stories. And Constantine's kind of an interesting character because... Um, from a from a production standpoint, I don't know much about the character, but I know kind of more of how how the production of it is. Like you said, he showed up in uh, um, Swamp Thing, and this was uh, an era of DC, which is sometimes colloquially called the British Invasion, where a lot of British uh, writers and artists came in and started working for both Marvel and DC, but primarily DC at this point. Uh, and um, DC was trying uh, what they then called new format, which is kind of edgier, more adult stuff. So they realized their audience was no longer children. And ultimately that spun out and became Vertigo. And the Vertigo stuff is its own continuity, but it was originally start it was originally vested in the DC continuity. So like um uh Grant Morrison's um Doom Patrol run was it was a Vertigo run, but it referenced the the DC continuity beforehand and it's uh kind of spun out of it. So uh Constantine was a DC character briefly became part of his own continuity, which didn't really cross over to other books. And it's interesting you pulled Garth Ennis as a quote because uh, Garth Ennis also is a, not one of the, I don't think he's a creator, but I think he's heavily no. influenced the, the direction of Constantine. And Garth Ennis hates superhero comics. It, it's, it's fascinating how he's written so much for superhero comics and hates them so much. His Punisher run we talked about. The Punisher thing is very similar. Um, so uh, I want to say Constantine was created by. Uh, one other person and the magician himself, Alan Moore. Right. I, th- I think Alan Moore did was involved somewhere. The, the, the snake magician, I think you should clarify. Very important. Um, but uh, so Constantine started when this, this vector of actually satirizing uh, superhero comics, although Preacher came along and did it more explicitly, blah, blah, blah. So, um, it was never really designed to kind of come back into DC, but then like you said New Fifty Two happened, Vertigo was, was shuttered, and suddenly Constantine shows up, and he's a slightly more all ages version of himself, uh, as which much was as he super could be. weird, huh? As much as he could be, like right, right, exactly. It it it, it it's. It was a very fine line, and, and he quickly got shuffled off into uh, Justice League Dark, which is actually a decent comic, um, but that was also meant to be explicitly here's a slightly more horror take on it, and he fits really well with that. Um, but he's just kind of hung around 
since then. Uh, and part of it, I think, was because of the, um, the Constantine live-action movie, uh, which did reasonably well, even though at the time it was lambasted by fans because it was not similar to the comic. Um, but so, it, it is. That's the thing. Like, other than Keanu, Keanu, right. um, not being British and not having blonde hair, the beats of the story are very similar to Dangerous Habits. Like, he doesn't die because he ends up tricking tricking someone. I'm not going to give all the spoilers for the movie in case right. someone hasn't seen it in a right. 20-year-old movie. Um, but a lot of those similar beats are still there throughout the movie. It's We may do a thing on it just because I think it'd be worthwhile. Yeah, um, but uh, I definitely think it's one of the movies that, in retrospect, has aged better. Um, but the larger point is that so we have this this character who doesn't really fit into superhero comics, who's been kind of forcibly jammed into a superhero universe. And so I, I bring it up as context because this movie, I think, is a good illustration of that, is that it is a DC animated movie, but it doesn't really touch on larger DC continuity except for in some pretty minor ways. I specifically chose this one, though, because we're, from how the format of the show, how we do it, we're trying to focus on a specific hero and primarily less of a group right now because I could have right, chosen right. the animated justly dark one. I think that was yeah, justly dark animated movie that would have shown more of them would have had like Batman running around with Constantine, but right. that oh, doesn't go for the vibe that we're going for with like Smallville, the flash. Then if we jump to justice league, dark apocalypse, Constantine, <laughs> Batman, wonder woman fighting together. <laughs> that would have, that would have been a lot. Um, um, but and, one of the things and, I do and, want to mention before, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask real quick. I, I, is Constantine actually voiced by the guy who played him in the live action series in this movie? I think, yes. He is voiced by Matt Ryan. Yes. Okay. That's, um, one of the reasons why we also chose this because Matt Ryan's Constantine does show up in the Arrowverse. So mm -hmm. technically he is part of the Arrowverse. Good, good, good. For, take that for what you will. Um, we were, we were going to do the television show, but as it's not available anywhere, unless you purchase the entire, I think season or individual episodes, we want to go with something that was on a subscription service that many people already have. Although mm -hmm. said subscription service, I think it's dying. It'll be gone in 2023, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, one of the things to really mention also about Constantine before we move on is that he is one of the few canonically stated in print bisexual characters and yes. that is huge and monumental of itself and something that we just can't move past without discussing i think that was great i don't know how it's been implemented because i've read hellblazer in in spurts is the best way to right. put it same and i mean the bits and pieces i've read of hellblazer uh, i did read one i think every nature's habits and i think it was one other one uh, arc before that um and you know it was the 90s and it was garth ennis and some other writers. So, I mean, take that for what you will. But even then, for a relatively mainstream comic company to be portraying these sexualities was huge. I mean, this is also around the time that uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman was running, also a Vertigo comic. Um, and it was, again, groundbreaking for the time, although in retrospect, um, you know, maybe some bits of it didn't age well. But, you know, it also had Garth Ennis writing a sentient street who was a drag queen. <laughs> so, I mean, 
take it what you can. <laughs> um, but you're it, right. Sid Street shows up in the Teen Titans, right? Or I no, know. Yes. Doom Patrol. Series. Yes. 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 And, and it, it's it's amazing. It's amazing and wonderful. Um, but uh, to your point, that's something that with the New Fifty Two and the reboots could have just been washed away. DC could have pretty easily just not mentioned, and it seems like, from what I understand, they haven't, which is actually really cool. Similar, um, we see um, his his origin story in this movie, which we'll cover when we get there. But it is reasonably close to the original comic, from what I remember of it. So again, DC is actually trying to honor as much of the original run as they can, which, considering Conti's been to two or three reboots now, is actually yeah. genuinely surprising. I think when for the new 52, they put him constantly in a relationship with Zatanna and Nick Necro. They were sort of a, a magical Ooh. and romance trio. Yeah. But one of the things I didn't like about that is that he basically once, if you haven't read the comic, sorry, but Nick Necro dies in the comic. Shocking. Someone around Constantine dies. Um, yeah. in un, a primarily unnamed, unremembered character like, not like Zatanna or Batman level hanging out with Constantine. It's probably going to die. So mm. Nick Necro dies and Constantine basically gets his trench coat. And that's a trench coat he's running around in. For some reason, that little yeah, tidbit of information bothers me. It's. Yeah. It's and, a, and I mean, it, it does play into the, uh, uh, the gays die trope, which is unfortunate. Um, if you are in a, a non-standard, a non-heterosexual relationship, then your partner is going to die in fiction. That That is an unfortunate trope as well. I mean, so it's, again, it's not perfect, um, but you're right. Bisexual men in comics being heroes, well, in quotes, heroes, is extremely rare. So, yeah, it's definitely worth calling out and, and celebrating. So I could ramble on about other Constantine points, but would, is there anything else you would like to discuss about Johnny Conjob? <laughs> the Hellblazer, the the laughing um, magician. I, I don't, I don't think you can emphasize enough how much of an asshole this guy is. I mean, he's uh, it, it, it's it's such a great balance because like let's, let's compare another antihero like the Punisher. The Punisher is someone that you start to maybe sympathize with, but you at least for me, it, you can never really completely empathize with. It's like, okay, I get you had a rough life, but maybe shooting everybody in your way is probably not the best way to handle that. <laughs> maybe go to see a therapist. Um, but what if they're mercy bullets? <laughs> they just knock bullets. people out. Jesus Christ. I, 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 we're not going there. Anyway. Um, <laughs> mercy bullets. Uh, but Constantine is a genuine character in the sense that he does grow and change. But what happens is ultimately he has to make a tragic choice and he knows that those tragic choices ultimately lead to people around him dying. So him being an asshole is sympathetic. I don't want people to get close to me because I don't want to care about them because if I do, they will die. So I am doing this as his armor of, of antisociality is actually a heroic maneuver. He's intentionally trying to live alone as much as possible. And he keeps failing because he's human. He needs human contact. So the cycle always continues. And it's tragic to see because we as the audience kind of once you get to know Constance's character, you know where these things are going to go. He kind of knows where they're going to go. Um, and you see him continue trying to opt out. So him pushing someone away or being a jerk or manipulating someone is 
itself kind of a weirdly heroic act. So it's it's almost hard to call him an anti-hero because he is genuinely heroic. It's just his tactics are very antisocial. And it's an interesting balance. Some of the reasons why I think he's still a compelling character now. So now that you've said that, it made me remember something that I, I had read in that part of it is at, depending on which history version you go with, Constantine is always the reason his mother dies along mm-hmm. with, uh, I want to say his brother who he strangled in the womb dies also. But in some versions, mm-hmm. he's also a child where he makes a pact with a demon and a to get power, but then the demon says there's a price, and the price is that his family home burns down with like all of his family in it. So there's mm-hmm. always that tragic bent for him to get magic, which plays into part of that. But one of the things that I went on that long trip to tell you about is that he cast a spell at an early age, equivalent, I think it was like 12 in one of the versions, where he got rid of all of his own innocence and like compassion. Oh, wow. Okay. And sort of compart, and it just went away to, for more power. So it's that mm-hmm. thing that the gives that he made to acquire more and more power. So equivalent, I think around twelve or thirteen, you have a adult size, bitter, cynical Constantine who only gets more and more as he ages. And, and to show that, like his father, no, go ahead. Just a, another riff because I'm having fun, like in our Constantine hole, um, Constantine hole, but. He, he, his father hates him. And so in one version that so much that he cursed his father and he's cursed his father, linking it to a cat that I think he, that was dead or he killed. And mm-hmm. his father has a wasting disease and he realizes what he did and feels bad about it and puts the dead cat into a preservative that keeps the cat from decaying anymore. And so his father is stuck in this like weird sort of, um, cursed estate until he dies and then is still stuck on the earth because he's still linked to that cat until Constantine gets rid of it. Mm-hmm. Like this is the level of depth and complexity that like weaves throughout the character. Right. And, and it's um, it reminds me of a meme I saw online is like on the outside I'm a bastard, but inside I'm a nice person. And on the inside of that is yet another bastard. And that's constant is like, just when you think he's being nice, you find out there's another layer where he's actually being a dick. And then underneath that is maybe another layer where he's being nice. And so it's like, you're not sure where the end of the snake is. It's in his own tail. It's like at what you can't ever really put a label on him. And that's, what's so fascinating about the character is that it could be, a jerk or a hero, depending on what day you come across him and what your relationship is with him. So there are genuinely people who are like, want to murder him, people that we feel like are generally heroic people. And there are other people who are like, no, and they, they will stand up for him. Um, and his relationship with Satana, uh, at least the New 52 version, is extremely complicated as a result of that because she comes from the much more kind of Silver Age heroic tradition. Mm-hmm. And he very much not. And in a lot of ways, their relationship is a metaphor for reconciling a Silver Age heroic morals with the muddier early 2000s modern day morality, um, which is a bit too meta, I admit. But the point is, is that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with Constantine. It's not just superhero nonsense, but genuine, interesting character growth. It's a way to show a character that can have – it's not even an arc. It's more of a circle. But the character can change and grow. 
and still fit within that superhero status quo that's necessary for something like DC. And so on to that point, though, also one of the things about the New 52 is there is a story where Zatanna, during one of their, I think they're breaking up, cast a spell on Constantine that basically is a spell to make him be a better man. Oh, no. <laughs> so the goodness that we have in Constantine could potentially be the spell that she cast. It's an interesting thing because then they could go back and say if first that spell is broken, he could become even more of a bastard and gives right. him that more wiggle room to play with. So it's not his fault. Maybe it is his fault. Who knows? Oh, oh that's amazing. I love it. All right, but I guess people are here for our, our discussion about this epic movie. Do it. A decade, a decade after a tragic mistake, family man, Chaz, and in cult, and in cult investigator John Constantine, voiced by Matt Ryan, set out to cure Chaz's daughter Trish from mysterious supernatural coma with the help of the mysterious nightmare nurse, the influential angel, uh, influential queen of angels, and the brutal Aztec god. I cannot pronounce, so I will not try. Yes. The pair just might have a chance at outsmarting the demon. Barul? I can't pronounce that one either. Thank you. Barul. Once again, Alabama education. They did not teach us how to pronounce words. To save Trish's soul. In a world of shadows and dark magic, not, ev not everything is what it seems, and there's always a price to pay. The path to redemption is never easy. And if Constantine is to succeed, he must navigate through the dark, urban underbelly of Los Angeles, outwitting the most cunning spawns of hell, and come face to face with arch nemesis Nergal, all while battling his own inner demons. So, the look I on wanted... your face told me everything I needed right then. <laughs> yes. I wanna, I wanna jump to one part because it was the most. 90s vertigo moment of the whole movie where John Constantine has sex with the physical embodiment of Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, that is peak 90s vertigo right there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and it's, if you're going to jump there, let's go ahead and jump to the part at the end where it comes back and, and you know they're going to hook up again next time he's in Los Angeles. Like, that is just... And then there's that. a there's a throwaway line of like you know what they're talking about maybe having a relationship and he's like if there's anyone if there's anyone I have relation any woman have a relationship with it would be London and I'm like this just opens so many doors. <laughs> oh. oh, all right. Now that you said that, that makes me curious if there's ever going to be a comic run where John Constantine meets like the nineteen nineteen yeah the twentieth century version of jenny sparks right who for people yes. that don't know jenny sparks is like i want to say they were called centurions or like century people so they're born on like the first day of a century and they have superpowers and they're like defenders of that right. century and jenny sparks was from like london and it was very much a, a uk-esque character who is the embodiment almost of if you take all of constantine's punk rock and put it in put it in a woman with lightning powers boom jenny sparks Right, because she was the embodiment of electricity. Electricity was the big innovation of the 20th century. Yeah. And so, um, a, for a, a digression, but there was a great, I, I love there's a storyline where, where 
it turns the year 2000 and she has to die because she's her century is going away and it's just it's almost heartbreaking that see this tough obnoxious woman just pass away and it was amazing but anyway that that was the authority for folks that are necessary yes the authority so good um but yeah i mean it's the, the the whole movie is it's it's actually structured reasonably well for a a classic Hellblazer story in the sense that it starts off relatively mundane. There are very human stakes, um, which is a child has been abducted or possessed. Um, the, the, the parents are, are conflicted on whether they should ask John Constantine, uh, which is the appropriate response. Uh, and as John Constantine goes deeper into this rabbit hole of occult mysticism, things get steadily weirder and weirder and weirder. Uh, if anything, my concern is that when you, the, the, I mean, I joke about the having sex with the queen of angels thing, but also that was kind of the peak and everything after that kind of slid to relatively mundane demon punching. Uh, well, let, let's, let's, let's get there. Let's, let's mm-hmm. make it like, make it like a date. You start, you like, you get ready for it. You drive over or commute or however you get there. You pick up your date's going to be, you go out, you have a nice little meal you see how things go. That's 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 the route we're going to take. You're you're jumping to like the morning after. We're we're not there yet. We got to build. I, I, and why am I making weird sexually new nose? Because it's fucking Hellblazer, <laughs> and he's right. fucking a city basically. So uh, it's hard. I, I, okay, now we got that out. Yes, sir. Let's go. I guess roll back. Start at the beginning. <laughs> you, you've made it too easy. So I will I will resist the very very. Very crude joke. Yeah, I said crude joke. And given I just had profanities that I will not make. Wow! Oh, look at that the restraint. The I'm, restraint. A, I'm an adult at nine in the morning. Don't, <laughs> don't let it. Don't let it hit eleven. Don't let it hit eleven a.m. Though, like it's all downhill after that. Just like this movie. Um. So yeah, we start and let me let me get them correct. We start in Raven Scar with Constantine. Um, having either been self-admitted or admitted against his will, which is sort of a reoccurring thing for the comic. And it's even, I think, how the TV series, I think, starts or it references. And mm-hmm. the reason I said Scar to make sure is because Spider-Man has a rift on this where they have the Ravencroft facility. Right. And it was a great opener because it gives you a feel of what who Constantine is. Regardless of anything else I have to say about the movie, like this moment is exceptional because you have... You go in on him, his own inner turmoils that he's going through, and you have someone talking to Constantine, which for me, having never seen this, I thought maybe he's hallucinating that person and they're not really there right. mm-hmm. because I know Constantine's a magical character. So that was like the little niblet in the back of my mind. Yeah. And um, John's relationship with reality is a kind – it's not a constant thread, but it is an, a, a thread that keeps popping up every now and then um, because he lives in a very liminal space in the world, especially as a magician, but particularly as a magician who's predominantly a demonologist. So he's used to being manipulated, having his, his life manipulated, his senses manipulated. So he can never be entirely sure of what he's seeing is real. So starting with that I think helps to set up – what's going on with this movie because again it is going to go into very strange places and so we as the audience theoretically should be going well i'm not sure if this is real or not the 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 problem is i think that 
the movie never takes an opportunity to fake out. It never really says this thing is could be fake, and then it really is. You know, it, every time we present something, it always gets solidified as real. So it was an yeah. opportunity that that kind of just didn't go anywhere. So it's it's a cool setup. And I'm with you. It's like, oh, maybe this is going to be kind of a weird, surreal thing. And it is. But the problem is that all surreal things are actually happening as opposed to just in Constantine's head. Or if it's in Constantine's head, there's still actual stakes for the real world. So that that, that is like the high praise I wanted to give it. Because then we transition into the little mini inner demon Johns, which were, were cute and funny to see. But it, it hurt. And it started me on this thing. I'm saying, maybe I should text Eddie. Because we went in blind for the show, and we said we weren't going to do it, but I Johnny Conjobbed you, and I gave you what we hadn't seen. Um, the so yeah, the inner demons, which are literally exterior demons, and therefore completely inaccurately named, but just happen to look like like John Constantine. Uh, it actually reminded me of a comic called The Darkness that was published by Image and now published by Top Cow. Um, which is a similar video game. Well, the video game's also based off the darkness, although it's a different kind of okay. alternate universe. Um, but the video game didn't really get into the same thing the comic did, which is that um, long story short, uh, it's the nineties. So mob enforcer turns 21, finds out he's the inheritor of demonic forces and can no longer have sex because that's what you do in the nineties with the image comics. But he had these little demons that came with him everywhere and they were always kind of the dark humor joker jokers of the thing where he trying to be relatively serious and, and dour. And then his little demon buddies are, are making jokes and cracking up and they're always bleak, dark jokes, but it, it, they're just consistently funny. And then when I saw that, that was immediately what I thought. And I had, I had the same problem with that that I did with the darkness, which is that if you're, if you have characters that are creative, that are constantly making fun of the premises you're trying to establish then it undercuts the drama and tension of the whole scenario. It's one thing if the characters in it are making jokes, like in a Marvel movie, because you can argue, well, they're under stress and they're using the humor to kind of diffuse the situation, or you can use the humor as a shortcut for personal conflicts. But no, these are creatures who have no real stakes in this. They're, they're just kind of manifestations of his id, and they're joking about it, which means on some level, John Constantine doesn't care about what's going on. And that could have been a really interesting thing to explore that's just turned into a bunch of running gags and aren't even that funny, frankly. I I, I utterly and totally agree with you. <laughs> and so, I think that kind of, is this Is this before the hospital scene? Yeah. I think so. Okay. He is his inner demons before then. Um, okay. Now that you mentioned the darkness, though, did you know that this shows you how, how how into this I am. That the the dark, if I remember right, the darkness was voiced by uh, Mike Patton. Really? From Faith No More, for people that don't know who Mike Patton is. That's amazing. I'd have to double check. It's been a couple decades, but I, if I remember right, that's who did it. I thought, that's awesome. If not, yeah. yeah, I think he did like the, like the creepy-esque darkness voice that kept popping up throughout the game. Oh, that's so good. And, and, and again, digressing, but the video game is one of the few genuinely good comic book adaptation video games out there. It, it, it's, a, it's a sincerely good, interesting game. And they, they use, they, they take the concept and do honestly better things than at least the early darkness run did. So, I mean, it's like, it was, it was a good update. So now curious though, you mentioned the darkness being a demon enforcer, which I didn't really know because I didn't read the comic. Where does that fall in parallel with spawn? Um, 
Spawn's not quite in the same continuity, uh, but um, digression. I bet you've been reading a lot of early image because I got a whole bunch of comics uh, really cheap on the bundle. Um, and really, it was more kind of Witchblade and the Darkness that were kind of counterbalance. Uh, but um, the Darkness is kind of the the uh, what do you call it? Um, it was corrupted by Satan to be like an elderly, basically a, a forward scout, right? It's like, okay, this could be this guy back in the day screwed up. Satan cursed him. And so each of his children carried on this curse and was specifically meant to be a counterbalance to the Witchblade, which was God's weapon on Earth. Yeah. Um, ah, Spawn cool. is a different subsection of demons who created basically a super soldier, basically hell's version of captain america to try to occasionally pop out and do specific tactical things it's just that the version of spawn that we follow decides to opt out of that whole war and sticks around on earth far longer than is intended i think that's okay. how that relationship goes so they don't really they're two different kind of facets of the war against heaven um but one's kind of more brute force tactical thing and one's more of uh we need to keep this tool around to counterbalance an offensive from god Okay. You, you realize I had an idea, right? Oh, no. You know, it, it will probably be as good as this movie is. But there was a Witchblade TV series that came yes. out in the late 90s, early 2000s, starring Nancy yep. Butler. Uh, I'm thinking. If it's online. Could, yeah. if, if people want us to really do like a real movie dive into that, let us know. And There's also a the, Spawn cartoon. There was a there was a there was a Savage Dragon cartoon, Chris. <laughs> I think I saw one episode. Did it have more than one episode? Uh, I think it had thirteen, but it was it was not good. <laughs> All right, so I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't think the Savage Dragon is a good comic in general. No, it's not. I mean, I, 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 we're going way off script. <laughs> point is, I have thoughts about Savage Dragon. I can defend bits and pieces of it, but ultimately, no, I don't think it's it's a very good comic. It's a fun comic at times, but it's it's a hot mess. Is really what it is. All right, since you want to be on my Constantine, who's also let's, a hot mess. <laughs> let's 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 get on topic with this movie. So, so Nightmare Nurse. The, okay, <laughs> well, we we got to get Chaz coming to Constantine. Okay. Which it was interesting to see the the life that they they gave Chaz, who was part of the original incident that they keep referencing throughout the entire right. thing. It's like the the crucial point for Constantine to see that Chaz went his own way and like led a normal life and got a family, had a kid, and didn't delve deeper into magic and everything else. Right, and, and I was I was actually get, pleased that they kept the fact that John Constantine ultimately was in a shitty punk band and. So it was got about the magic because ultimately he was bored and tried to be edgy. And I'm like, I, 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 I love that part of Constantine. It's like he, a lot of his problems came from the fact that he was trying to be an edgy punk and just fucked up. <laughs> Who summons a more powerful demon to fight your current enemy? Who does that? Like, so it's really powerful. We may or may not be able to beat it, but let's summon something we definitely cannot beat. Right. And send that yes. to kill our primary opponent. Like that's, Perfect plan. 
But you instantly get the relationship that the wife already knows who Constantine is, knows about mm-hmm. Chaz's past and history. And that was like a nice little dramatic touch to have them there and not wanting this person to go in and engage with their daughter who is in a coma. And that struggle wasn't that they sort of played it with in the movie, but not in the way that I think I would preferred to have made. It's harder to do, but to have made her a more active part of the thing, too, instead of crying every time we see her. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Chaz's wife, uh, and in fact, I don't remember her name, shows you exactly how much impact she has in the plot. But mm-hmm. um, she's very much against John Constantine, but she is constantly overridden. Um, and often immediately, like, she's like, you have five minutes, no more. And then 30 seconds later, John's like, I need more time. And she gives it to him. So it's like, the she was there simply to establish some people are kind of don't like John, but he still gets his way all the time anyway. Um, which is not inaccurate, but John didn't have to work for any of it. And you, that, and Constantine's greatest superpower isn't the magic. And as much as I joke about it, it's not being a bastard, but he is an excellent like charmer and con man. Like that yes. is literally what he does. That is mm. almost down to the genetic code. That is his mutant superpower. And right. that could have been an easy one or two lines about him doing that. And that would have mm-hmm. still had the same plot beat but it would have reinforced who constantine is as a character and maybe given us a couple more minutes that we just didn't have to see an animated demon punching another animated demon right maybe that doesn't hold a lot of weight i don't know um and then we get the nightmare nurse who's obviously had yet another relationship with constantine yes and i uh let's give a shout out to laura bailey from Critical Role, who I think voices the Nightmare oh, Nurse. Oh, okay, cool, cool. See, look, people, I did some research. I came prepared wow, wow. for this sh- thing. I was amused that we just got off a run of talking about the Night Nurse, and now we get the Nightmare Nurse, which shows that sometimes when DC and Marvel rip each other off, they're not even clever about it. <laughs> <laughs> Swamp Did, thing versus, man uh, thing. you know, swamp man, man thing. Did, did like you that. just not get the original talk about uh, Raven Scar and Ravencroft before we right, even started right, the exactly. episode? Yeah, it's, 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 it's not subtle. That in the, in the Ravencroft deals with a, I want to say, mystical traveler in a long trench coat <laughs> that combats with Spider-Man. Um I don't have a lot to say about the movie. I would love to tell you that I do, but it just did not strike the right chord with me. And we'll talk about it. I'm not going to like drag the movie because it had a lot of good points to it. But part of the problem is they felt wasted and squandered and they were more concerned about showing us a demon fight or trying to make it like scary at points. Right. Um, I've recently read a criticism of the MCU and I will bring this on topic, I swear. But one of the criticisms of the MCU, which I can't entirely discount, is that every movie or miniseries or whatever ultimately leads to a big CGI fight. And sometimes those are structured well to lead up well to the big CGI fight. The CGI fight feels like it has stakes. And sometimes it's WandaVision. So when you have a movie like this, I really felt like the same pattern was happening here, right? Where it's like the first half of the movie, which was 
some interesting nods towards character study and the weirdness of the mysticism of the DC universe led to 45 minutes of cartoon demons punching each other. And it's like, I, I, I get that that's the de facto structure now, but when a movie is clearly, it felt like it was, it felt like it was at odds with itself. It's like, it could have been something really interesting and fun or not fun, but interesting and compelling and talking interesting about John and tell about the world. Like, I mean, I joked about the queen of angels scene, but that opened up so much stuff. Like, you know, Los Angeles has been personified as this woman and what is she like? And like, you know, there's little nods to the fact that um, you know, she's using movie language and media language, which makes sense because she's Los Angeles. So like, what did the other cities say? Um, but it was just kind of an interesting bit that was jammed into a movie that didn't really have anything to do with that. It was just kind of, oh, and here's Nurgle and Nurgle's going to be a jackass. And we're going to have some taunting with John Constantine. John Constantine, of course, is going to pull a trick, a con job on the demon, but really it was just a lot of, of, of magical blasting each other. Even the night nurse, her whole role is to show up, take over, take the mm-hmm. possessed daughter subplot, take it off the table and also info dump about John Constantine's backstory. That was pretty much her whole role. So it, it's you a lot of how she, how she literally just touched the, the wife's forehead. And so they could show it to us given that she yeah. should have already have known that. Yeah, no, it's it's the, the DC animated movies of this era, these kind of direct-to-DVD or direct-to-streaming movies, they're technically well done and usually have a decent voice cast. Uh, I can't fault the acting. I can't fault the animation usually. Um, but often it just feels like they're, they could have been maybe a nice 45-minute episode or something. Uh, or it was kind of two movies jammed together. Um, and usually I, I, I watch them hoping for something interesting and then end up going, that was a movie that existed. And I'm not mad about it. I'm not dragging it. I don't think it was bad. It's just I watched it and immediately I had to go read Wikipedia because the last half of the movie just fell out of my head immediately after watching it. Yeah. So, but having said that, as one of the things that we do on Genreless is where you try to find the positive. I, I wanted to to put out some negative stuff towards sure, sure. like the second two thirds so that we could then do like a circle back and go putting the plot aside and some of the nonsensical pieces. It had some incredibly engaging individual scenes and moments. Yes. Like the when he finally gets to LA and he goes into Nurgle's disguise house when he's like in a big skin suit. Yes hilarious the pig butler oh oh yeah chef's kiss (laughs) like brilliant it was funny like the quip that the pig butler makes and it made me think of pig from batman who's a serial killer Mm. uh then lo and behold when you have constantine going into the pool room a pool full of corpses that they're waiting to like congeal for bath like these are incredible moments and scenes that could have been played on and like led into instead of just being backdrops. Right. If you're watching this just as kind of, uh, and I could argue this may be even intentional, something to throw on the TV, it kind of play in the background while you're doing something else. You look up occasionally and you see a cool moment, you hear a cool line. This movie is fantastic for that. Um, and I could even argue that's not necessarily a bad way to make media these days in particular. 
Um, and saying, like, yeah, the plot doesn't really matter. Here's just a bunch of cool images and then some stuff at the end. Um, if that's what they're going for, then absolutely they nailed it. And, and you're right. Like there are moments where it's like, oh, that's a cool bit. That's a cool bit. Now I remember those cool bits, but why those cool bits happened? I don't know. Um, like I, to this day, don't know why they had to go to LA. It's like, uh, there's something, something possession. Nurgle is in LA something. Uh, but I mean, there was nothing specific about LA that I remember that required them going there. Uh, it was just, it's called city of demons because city of angels, ah, get it. LA. Um, it's, it's all in the whole movie. Kind of, well, I'm still a whole movie. Um, the, the, the plot felt a lot like that, like stuff happened, but you're absolutely right that I could even argue that John Constantine's stories at their best, the plot really doesn't matter. It's a bit like, um, Raymond Chandler novels, right? Uh, uh Philip Marlowe stories as mysteries. What do you mean? Those plots are a hundred percent like no question. There's nothing that's about style or swagger, all Death They're movie. garbage. The mysteries <laughs> themselves are garbage. I'm, I'll, I'll hot take. Um, the big sleep makes no goddamn sense, right? Okay. <laughs> um, ultimately boils down to he literally watches people murder each other until the last person is left and goes, that's the person who did it. That's, that's all Marlowe does. <laughs> but the, 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 Philip Marlowe is engaging. Those novels are engaging because... Philip Marlowe is such an interesting character and you're following to see what LA, interestingly enough, the city of LA and the, the context of the things he has to go through to understand what happens, what that does to him as a person. Right? So if you look at it from that perspective, you look at it from here's another generic superhero plot, but what is it doing to John Constantine? The movie's almost there. It, it, it's almost to that point. Arguably, like you said, the live action movie does a better job of that with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, even it, it, I, I feel like this ended up being a superhero movie and not a John Constantine movie to its detriment. But there are lots of good John Constantine bits in it. Yeah. Like, so for instance, the ending will just jump to right there. For the whole time, I was waiting for something to happen to Chaz. Because, for instance, I know yeah. in the comics. One of the things that Constantine has done is that he has a friend that called him to help him get rid of a demon. And while he couldn't banish the demon, he could bind it into a human body to then get rid of it. And he bound it into his friend that called him for help, basically yep. obliterating his friend to get rid of a demon. Like these yep. are Constantine tricks. Like, yep. you don't call Johnny Khan job to help you. No. And I was waiting for something to happen to Chaz. And I even think they went a beat too long for the movie for Chaz is to find out that like his family and everyone forgot all their love for him. And Constantine got rid of like Chaz's memory of their friendship. Like that's a solid yeah. hit for John as Chaz is like the one recurring friend in his life that hasn't died. Like that is meaningful and powerful. And they waited too long to tell us. And then it was too brief of a moment to then come in with a queen of angels joke. Yep. To end it on. Da -dun -dun -dun. Yeah. Exactly. And it's exactly, and that's, that's a very good representative example of what I was talking about in terms of it's superhero movie. Superhero movie is like, okay, here's the poignant twist, but then here's the funny joke at the end. So everyone feels good at the end. And it's like, no, no one should feel good about any of that. Um, and you're right. Like the twist felt so tacked on. It was like, if you, 
drop that whole scene with Chaz and just go right from the end of the movie to the Queen of Angels gag, it's actually weirdly thematically stronger because you don't have this weird dip of emotional investment that doesn't mean anything. Um, but if you ha- and, and, and again, you see, like maybe this was cut from the script or something because you can see bits and pieces of like they kind of reinforce their friends. Chaz stands up to, for John against his wife. John, you know, Chaz helps out during the, the, the investigations. So like it's the Chaz keeps popping up and being there for John and being the person who sees past all of the bullshit to find the good person underneath. If they had at some point, John had made a, you know, a reference to like, I, I had another friends like this that went through a similar thing and lost all their love. Or I had to do this once I lost my love for something, or I lost my love for you as my friend. That's why this whole conversation is being weird. Something to kind of sell. This was something that was on the table and then to reveal that, but it just didn't. Because again, it, it's it's paced more like a superhero movie. So it's ironic that we're here doing superhero stuff going, yeah, but it's superhero movie. It's, it feels like a weird criticism, but John Constantine is such a rich character. And again, he was written to be a parody of superhero plots. So when he's jammed superhero plot, it always feels a bit weird. Yeah, like, but then it feels like it... Mm. I'm not going to say it was a, a bad choice. It's an interesting choice to have watched the movie. I don't regret watching it. No. I just wish that it had been better. And that is my biggest criticism, I think, for most of the things that we see that people will hear me like ramble on that I don't like is I want your media to succeed. I want whatever it is you're making yeah. to be amazeballs and like leave me stunned and staggered. And if it's not there, I'm bothered and hurt because a lot of the, a lot of time there's a lot of potential. And I don't know if it's like budgetary cuts or if it was timelines. And as a creator, I understand that you've got like a lot of stuff working against you. And to create anything is a monumental feat that should Absolutely. be praised. Absolutely. Um, and I will say for our purposes, I think this ultimately succeeds because our real goal was to say, look at how amazing Matt Ryan is playing Constantine. Remember this moment when we later come back to this and Frankly, Matt Ryan's performance is the one thing that was consistently good about this movie. Yeah. It's almost like he was made to play that character. Yeah, 100%. Um, he, he inflects, he, he pitches his performance so well. You see it more in the body language in the live action version, which again, we didn't see it, so that's unfortunate. But the even with his voice, and again, your voice is, is impressive. You always get the sense that there's something more going on, even relatively innocuous statements. Um, whenever he's joking or being funny, there's always a weariness behind it, like it's forced, which is amazing. And when he's giving bad news, there's always a level of, oh, yeah, this is a time where I have to pretend like I care. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's not obvious. It's not over the top. It's just a, a, a strain, a note, a, a level that adds so much depth and really reinforces that this is a complicated, nuanced character. And Matt Ryan just does an amazing job. In fact, he can do this just with his voice as well as the physicality when he's live action shows, frankly, how frustrating. I think it's one of the reasons why we're both kind of frustrated by this is because the live action show never quite got the momentum it wanted to. Um and then he was brought into the Arrowverse stuff, spoilers mildly for coming upcoming stuff, but he never quite reached potential there either. And then now we see these things and we never quite see the potential. It's like, this should be amazing. John Constantine should be spoken at the same level as Doctor Strange right now. 
and it just yes. isn't, and it's so frustrating. Oh, hands down. Yeah. Is uh, there anything else about this movie? Because I have one more thing. Uh, no, I was going to ask if you had anything else about the movie. I'm, I am pretty much, you know what? I do have my one more gripe that I will let out. At okay, the go end. ahead. Is that the Queen of Angels, the embodiment of Los Angeles, in its primary representational form, is a white person. That bothered me when I saw it. That bothered me throughout. That bothered me that it's a form that they kept coming back to. They went through all the other yep. forms. And then when they come back and he even engage with him in a non-white form, he quips and makes jokes about it. And it's... Yep frustrating in addition to everything else yeah honestly she should have been latina frankly but uh but anyway um i want to do something that i have been trying this entire podcast to do which is to turn the tables on you Uh oh because you my friends three episodes ago introduced a game that you have forgotten probably we were building a superhero team and we did one episode of that where I picked oh, Jessica no. Jones. I haven't forgotten. No, no, no. You no. haven't forgotten? Remember. Well, we've not done it for several episodes. But the, the game was different this season. All right. Uh-huh. That's the hottest. No, 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 no. Wait for it. Wait for it. If you remember how I explained it, trying to turn the tables on me, I said at the end of every arc, we would pick a hero from all the shows. Oh, oh, that's that's just the goalpost. Come on. Okay, no, we're at the end no, of our arc. If you then. go back and look, we went through all the Netiverse shows, and on the last episode, they teamed up. We chose a hero. We're going to go, and the plan is to go through all the Arrowverse shows, and then we choose a hero from this litany of people we're going to go through. <sighs> that's why I chose a specific show that had one person lead. <laughs> I reverse your reversal back to reverse. You are the John Constantine of this podcast. That's why I've, I refer to myself as Johnny Conjob this whole show. Come on. <laughs> fine, 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 fine. I accept this. Because that's, that's how it gets harder. And because like we're going to hit, we're going to hit Supergirl in there. We're going to hit Arrow. There's going to be a, potentially a, a real version of Superman in there. Yeah. And you're going to have to choose who you would want on your team. Like that, those are going to be some hard choices. Like, do I want Black okay. Light to go on my team? I don't know. And I'm telling people shows that we'll see, but it's the Arrowverse. Come on. You can like Google right. it. You know, you know which shows we're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's, if, you, if you know what, you know what the Arrowverse is, you pretty much know what's going to happen. But the thing is, you can't choose like Diggle because Diggle, the show isn't named Diggle. It's named Arrow. It should be you named can't Diggle. Choose, <laughs> you can't choose Killer Frost because the show's named Flash. Um. Digression, random trivia. Um, I, I learned this uh, when I was doing my Green Arrow review, and I actually don't think I mentioned it in that series. But the character of Diggle in the TV show is named after Andy Diggle, who was one of the writers of Green Arrow at the time, comic writer. So nice. I thought that was funny that he was meant to be kind of a, a, a neat little homage, and he became such a huge character of his own. So. <laughs> I, I've got thoughts on Diggle, but I'm not going to say anything because this is not the there. Arrowcast. We're about Constantine. We can talk about Constantine. Who else is there, really? Nobody, because much like the doctor, everyone around him dies. It's true. And he also lies. I am curious, though, now that because I was when I was reading some of the stuff about some of the out. This is a constant cast, so it's not going to be specifically about the movie. Um, is that some of his outfits sound very similar to outfits that they chose for David Tennant to wear, like the long 
brown trench coat. I think mm-hmm. for a while he wore like a blue suit, kind of how Tennant did as a 10th Doctor for a while. I'm curious about the correlation between those two. I may have to look into that. Um, yeah, that, I, I suspect some of that is kind of the the pop culture self-reference machine um, in the sense that one thing inspires another thing, which goes back and inspires the first thing and, and kind of goes back and forth. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of DNA there because you have a strong male lead uh, and, and the 10th Doctor in particular was kind of the start of blurring the lines towards making the Doctor a little untrustworthy. So I could see kind of a visual indicator of let's pick a iconic British character who's also untrustworthy and take that look. And I'm obviously saying cigarettes because it's a kid show, but you know, otherwise kind of start to uh, uh, emote or evoke that. Um, similarly, how the 12th Doctor also brings some of that kind of punk root into it. I'm, I'm sure there's another kind of connection there. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't also, as a creator, I know you know this, but sometimes that stuff's intentional. Sometimes it's unconscious. Sometimes you just yeah. do it, and then later on you go back and go, "Oh, I can see now. I can see where I kind of got that and connected this to that." That. And you mean uh, untrustworthy for the modern era? Yes, I mean Seventh Doctor until recently was always seen kind of as an aberration, uh, and now with the new series that kind of has retroactively put a lot of, 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 Hey, actually, you know, this is the thing doctors a lot. Um, the sixth doctor probably more explicitly. Um, but like, you know, all the doctors at some point in time do engage in actively deceiving their companions. Uh, but that's something I know you and I, I would bring about out the first like, doctor. <laughs> Cause even the first doctor was untrustworthy. So you're bringing about a point. Um, But it's interesting is that I don't think the pop culture consensus was that until you go back and actually watch the material. Because you're right. The first season in particular, he actively sabotages things because he wasn't the lead, right? Ian Chesterton was supposed to be the lead. (laughs) But that's a whole whole lot of Doctor Who stuff we get into. You mean we don't want to like like spiral this out now into like another three hours and just us riff on Doctor Who, which we could do right now with no notes, not having oh, watched anything. I mean, I, I think I think if we ever do a Doctor Who season, it'd probably be like the entire year. It's okay. Twenty twenty five is going to be the year of Doctor Who. <laughs> All right. I mean, the twenty third, sorry, sixtieth anniversary so is coming up. We're hitting. Soon, so. I know. I think that's why they brought Tenant back before they brought out um the new Doctor. Well, mm, yeah, the new new yeah. doctor in their own exactly. series. All right, so I guess we should probably talk about what's going to be happening, right? To give folks a a little insight, since we're going to be doing things a little differently now. Right. So, um, uh, if you're listening to this on the 18th, uh, uh, next week will be Halloween or Halloween, Christmas, same thing, right? Basically, the same holiday. Well, um, different uh, people dress so up in red outfits. We're going to. So. Right, exactly. Um, we're going to try to keep things... I know that you're trying to be on point now, but I'm going to tangent again. No, no, I'm going to tangent. Let me tangent. Let me tangent! It's like Go Halloween, ahead. because you've got David Harbour as Santa Claus bringing diehard vengeance to people. Boom! Boom! Because in Halloween, you kill people. Come on. Yes, it's a, it's yes. a whole thing. Boop, boop. All right, sorry, you're, tan- right. you're being right. very purpose on point. 
Um, uh, so anyway, we're going to watch, uh, Batman Returns, um, because it is related to the DC stuff. It's not as connected to the Arrowverse. Um, but you know, it's a chance to talk about Batman, which I think is an important thing to cover. Um, uh, it's also right after the Flash series. So we talk a little bit about that and it's setting Christmas. So it's, 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 I, th- I think it'd be a good thing to watch. That's next yeah. week. So I, I'm, I'm super excited. To, to talk about Keaton as Beetlejuice and really like delve into the depths of it and be on point and not tangent at all. <laughs> that will totally happen. Oh, uh, also for, I'm going to put this out now for any special episode like Batman or anything that we do, their specials, they are not in our game and you cannot choose those characters. Not that I think that you would so want to choose like nineties, bat nineties, Batman over anybody really. No offense to, to Michael Keaton as Batman, but that suit had limited mobility. <laughs> Again, I think that was the 90s. All of a sudden, all, the Flash suit had limited mobility. I think that was just, that's how you made superhero suits in the 90s. That you just don't move. <laughs> but we saw the Flash move at superhuman speeds. You saw him throw those candlesticks. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I could throw two that, candlesticks in that time. Flash threw four. Four. It, it's because he's a superhero, Chris. He's better than us. <laughs> oh. So, if people are looking to get in touch with you in the world online, where can they find you? Uh, best place to find me is through my website, uh, pugstaty.com. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. But otherwise, I'll be hanging out in the Darker Hue Discord talking about how I spent way too much money at Big Finish recently. <laughs> If people are looking for me, you can find me still for some reason on Twitter, uh, avoiding arguments with people because it's not worth my time. Or you can find me on Mastodon or the best place will probably be the Darker Hue Discord. And that's it, folks. We'll talk to you next week on Christmas. Batman Returns. <laughs>